Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, with co-host Patricia Glover-Hart. Hi, Patricia. Good evening. Hello. (laughs) Good evening to you, everyone. Patricia will monitor the chat room and summarize your comments. Well, I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest, and I do see several guests in the chat room tonight, and you wish to participate in the chat, please go ahead and sign in through your Facebook account or blog, Talk Radio. Well, my guest tonight is Andre Kearns, and he will be speaking on African-American history etched in my DNA. Andre Kearns' research comes from the perspective of an African-American genealogy hobbyist. Advances in DNA testing offer African-Americans the possibility of leapfrogging brick walls created by slavery to connect to ancestral roots by analyzing family history documents within DNA. Andre will share strategies he's used to advance his research as a hobbyist and highlight how he leveraged DNA testing to reveal white slave-owning ancestors, uncover free people of color ancestors, and reconnect family branches. So let me give just a warm welcome to Andre Kearns to research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Andre. Thank you so much. It's great to be here, Bernice, and uh, thanks for that incredible uh, introduction. Well, I am looking forward to you sharing with us everything you need to, to say about African-American history etched in your DNA. So let's begin with your beginning. What motivated you to begin your genealogical research? Uh, Well, I'd say that my inspiration for my interest in genealogy uh, begins with roots. So 
Last year, in 2016, there was actually a remake of Alex Haley's Roots that aired on the History Channel. Um, Bernice, I don't know whether you uh, were able to see that, but uh, it was amazing. It was, it was a brilliant remake of, of Roots. And uh, when I was watching that remake, it had me reflecting on when I watched the original version of it as a child. And I remember it vividly because it came on kind of late and I was young and I was really struggling to stay up to even watch the whole thing, but I did. Um, but I didn't realize it back then, but, but watching Roots on TV really planted a seed in me. Uh, which grew and has now blossomed into a full-blown passion for genealogy uh, and a passion and drive to really trace my own family roots and to trace them back uh, to to the continent of Africa. So it was just incredibly inspiring to me that Alex Haley could trace his ancestry back to uh, a named ancestor in Africa, a noble Mandinka warrior by the name of Kunta Kinte, uh, and I wanted to, to do the same types of things. And so ever since I watched Roots, I've really been on this quest to explore my ha- family history and my family roots and really to also identify my, and my own connection uh, back to the continent of Africa. So that was really my inspiration. And then um, I actively started researching, I'd say around 2006, so um, I actually checked my Ancestry.com profile before uh, earlier today before this interview, um, and it says that I've been a member of Ancestry since February of 20, uh, 2006. So back oh. then, I remember that we were planning a Kearns family reunion, and so I remember signing up for Ancestry, and I started to build out my tree from there. Okay, well, it's very interesting that you would mention Roots because, indeed, so many people will always mention, you know, Roots. I remember back then. That was 1976, and that was one of the things that made people think, wait a minute, I can do that too. So you started building your tree back in 2006. So how Mm -hmm. far back have you traced your ancestors? So based purely on um, what I've been able to document uh, and I have full proof for, I've taken a few of my family lines back to the late 1700s in Virginia and North Carolina. Um, So that's my first answer. (laughs) Uh, Now, my next answer is that based on my uh, documented research plus uh, DNA evidence, uh, and connections that I've identified, really strong DNA evidence and connections. I've been able to take at least one line back to the 1600s to Germany. Um, and, and then the third answer I'll give is I also have this one working theory, and I'm, I'm working it, and I'm working to validate it through research, that if I'm successful, it will take me back to a named ancestor born on the continent of Africa in the 1600s, and his name was Kumbo. And so I can talk about that a little later. So that just gives you a feel how how far I've been able to trace back. I would say generally, though, uh, with all of that said, the majority of my ancestors, if I go back far enough, uh, were enslaved. And so, um, which for the most part, that means that my research of their ancestry, for the most part, dead ends 
in mm-hmm. the early 1800s because of just lack of documentation. And so this is what uh, uh, genealogists call the brick wall. And so to give you an example of my 32 great, great, great grandparents who were born prior to the Civil War, uh, 23 of them were enslaved. And so for those 23, I'm about, to, I'm able to get back to maybe around uh, 1800 or so, but not much farther beyond that at this point. Right. Right. And, and many people, um, if they have enslaved ancestors, will perhaps echo what you have also just said. So let's start a little forward and backwards. How much of your ancestral journey has been influenced by oral history? Quite a bit. Uh, And my view is that all good genealogy should start with what your family can tell you, with the family oral history. My general approach as a genealogist has three fundamental steps. You first start with your family oral history. Uh, what your parents can tell you, what your grandparents, aunts, uncles can tell you about your history. You gather all those names, you plug them into a tree, and then uh, you work to extend that family tree through traditional records research, research of census records, vital records, etc. And then now with the advent of DNA technology, you can use DNA testing to validate your tree as well. But again, it all starts with that family oral history. Um, And when I meet people and they find out that I have this particular hobby and interest in genealogy, invariably they will start to share a little bit about their own family history and the oral history that was passed down to them. And um, I've noticed a pattern. I don't know if it's just me, but uh, interestingly enough, there's there's a story that consistently comes up over and over again. Um, that uh, that people ask and or people are curious about, and they, you know, people tell me that their family oral history is that they are uh, of some Native American ancestry, uh, and so it ha- that type of thing has them curious about whether or not it's in fact true, and so I really coach them through all their different options about how they can research their their family tree. Uh, and and potentially validate that yes, their ancestors were uh, some of their ancestors were indeed Native American, and and how DNA tests could help to potentially reveal that as well. Um, so in my own family, um, by the way, my DNA test did reveal that I do have uh, Native American ancestry, which was cool to discover. Uh, but we didn't have much oral history on how our family was Native American. What we did have was um, I have many ancestors who were the offspring between uh, white plantation owners and enslaved women prior to the Civil War. Um, So there was this rape rape culture where uh, uh, white plantation owners uh, would would rape enslaved women and they would have children, mixed-race children, that would be born into slavery. And so my family has a ton of oral history passed down on the speculated identities of some of these plantation owners who had fathered my enslaved mixed-race ancestors. And so I think, as you said, this is a, this is a challenge for, for many African-American genealogists. We face this challenge in advancing our family histories, um, this notion of how do you 
trace back to slaveholding ancestors if that's something that's been passed down in, uh, you know, uh, in your family history. And, and, and so um, the other thing I'll say is that most African-Americans do have some European ancestry. And so I think much of my European DNA actually comes from enslaved ancestors who were the results of successive generations of offspring between white men and enslaved women prior to the Civil War. So I've researched these ancestors in the family tree who fit into this category. And I've looked for documentation connecting my enslaved mixed race ancestors to their white fathers. The documentation is basically non-existent. Uh, and so to try to validate the family history, oral history, I started using extensive DNA testing to try to do that validation. Um, and, it, you know, I'll be candid. It's been an up and down experience. It's really, it's really uh, challenging. I've experienced some successes where the DNA testing has validated what the family has passed down as oral history. Um, uh, around slaveholding ancestors. And then I've also had setbacks where the DNA testing doesn't at all validate what was passed down as oral history. But I think what I've learned uh, is that the key is to stay, is to stay persistent. Right. Now, while you're, you're talking about the oral history, give us an idea of where your ancestors were located geographically and some of the surnames that you have uh, put in your family tree. Well, you know the rules of the game, Bernice. I appreciate this. I've been promoting this interview with all my family members. Hopefully they're all listening and friends are listening. So I want to thank you for the opportunity to give out a shout out to our family names, our family surnames. So I'll start with my dad. My father was born in Raleigh, North Carolina, and his parents and their ancestors were from Charlotte, Mecklenburg County, North Carolina. And so um, family surnames from my father's side of the family are Kearns, uh, Henderson, Harvell, um, Johnson, Owens, Goodwin, and Ross. Also uh, on my father's side, DNA testing helped me to connect back to German ancestors who were slave owners in North Carolina. Uh, so family surnames for those uh, slaveholding ancestors were Smyre and Bost. Uh, and so I uncovered their story a little bit. They migrated from Germany to Pennsylvania in the 1700s, and then they ultimately settled in Lincoln County, North Carolina, which then became uh, the Smyre Plantation. And, uh, and so um, I descend from that area as well. So that's a bit on my dad's side. On my mom's side, my mother was born in Suffolk, Virginia, and her parents are also from Suffolk. And I learned that many, through my research, that many of my uh, maternal ancestors were, before they were from Suffolk, Virginia, they were from uh, uh, rural northeastern North Carolina, uh, and then they moved to Suffolk at the turn of the 20th century to look for jobs and opportunity. So my maternal ancestors were from um, Northampton County, North Carolina, Hertford County, Halifax County, Edgecombe County, and Bertie County, North Carolina. And so many of the family surnames there on my mother's side are uh, Richards, Joyner, Biggs, Sharp, 
Thigpen, and Staten. And I do also want to highlight um, another surprise I discovered through my research was that many of my maternal ancestors were uh, free people of color, meaning they were living in the South as free blacks prior to the start of the Civil War. Uh, and so my family surnames for, my, for some of my free people of color ancestors include Cumbo, Manly, Pope, White, Reed, and Hall. So thank you for letting me do my uh, ancestral shout out. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm loving it. And I, I'm so glad you have people in the chat room kind of saying, well, I'm from Charlotte, or I have these people in my family. So uh, here's one. My grandfather was a Richards from Madison County, Virginia. So you may be having several family members in, in the chat room, and I'm glad that people are responding to what you're saying. So I am too. The- and can, I, can I also just say that's one of the things I love about um, opportunities like this, and I'm also um, active on social media and sharing about my research. And what I find is you, when you share, you have no idea what connections can come out of it. Um, but I've had a lot. And so sharing my research and stories really has created amazing connections with people that uh, otherwise I would have, um, and for family members um, that I otherwise would not have connected with. So um, it's it's a wonderful gift. Right. So And that's what it's all about. It's about family, and it's also about telling the story. So you mentioned earlier uh, that you uncovered free people of color in your family tree. So who mm-hmm. were the free people of color? So who were free people of color? If I take that question, I would say if you were to survey 100 people and you ask them that question, I think that many would probably say that free people of color in America were free Negroes who lived up north, essentially, um, uh, prior to the Civil War. And, and this answer is partially correct. Around 1804, by then, uh, all the northern states, I believe, had voted to abolish the institution of slavery within their, within their borders. Um, but, it, but let's go back to the 1860 census. According to the 1860 census, there were a total of 488,000 free blacks living in the United States. So that was about 10% of the entire black population. And of that 488,000, around 226 lived in the North. So those are the free Negroes in the North. And then you had 261,000 living in the South. And so prior to the start of the Civil War, there were more free people of color living in the South than living in the North. And, and so there were free communities of color established all across the South, um, across many states throughout the South, uh, in particular in Virginia and North Carolina, which is where my um, uh, free uh, people of color descended ancestors lived. Okay, and so you're mentioning you're mentioning the South, and you're saying Virginia, but what about South Carolina and Louisiana? Absolutely, as as free people of color. Yes, they were there as well, for sure. That's right. 
Yes. And someone is saying, I mean, Louisiana, Louisiana is probably the, uh, you know, outside of the, the free uh, Negroes in the North prior to the civil war, people probably are most aware of uh, free people of color in South Carolina, the Creoles. Right. Um, so yeah, th- they were definitely throughout the South for sure. Right. And, and New Orleans, as you said, the, the People of color, free people of color. Yep. Well, you have a couple of questions here, so I'm going to just go back and forth with you. Um, one of the guests in the in the chat room is saying, tonight she spoke to a lady who said that there was a great migration from the Carolinas to Louisiana in the 1700s. So she's looking for more historical documentation on, on this migration. But there's another person who's asking the question, what are the first steps, Andre, you would recommend to someone getting started on this journey? I would go back to the, the, the three fundamental steps that uh, I had um, highlighted earlier. First uh, is to collect the family oral history. So talk to your parents, talk to your grandparents, talk to aunts and uncles, talk to the elders in your family and gather as much information about your family as you can from them. Write down all the names, the locations, try to draw out a family tree, what, however uh, helps you to, to kind of keep track of it. And then I would say build, start to build, use that to start to build out a family tree. Uh, and I, I've built out my family tree um, online on Ancestry.com, but there are software packages out there or you could do it on paper, but just find a way to document your family tree. And so, so using family oral history and information from family to get started on your tree, that's step one. And then start to do your research of census records and vital records. And all these things are available online and searchable. Um, so they're pretty easy to, to get, it's pretty easy to get started looking at some of these records. Um, and so if you're an ancestor and you built out a tree, they make it really easy to uncover these records. Uh, ancestry is a paid service, though. Um, so if you're not interested in a paid service, then um, you can go to a site uh, like FamilySearch.com, and that's a free service, and it has access to a lot of the same documents, census records, and vital records that you can search and start to learn more about your ancestors. And um, the way that you're able to build out your tree that way is, let's say you only uh, know the names of your great-grandparents that you got from your family members. Well, if you start looking at um, census records, maybe you can find your great-grandparents in, in the census when they were children, which means that you can then look at the household they're living in and look at who the adults in the household were, and perhaps that's their parents. Or you can look at their marriage records that uh, may list the names of their parents or their death record, which may list the names of their parents. And so when you have these documents, you're able to then uh, uh, start with what you know, and the documents help you to trace your tree farther and farther back. And then the third step is the DNA testing. I, I would encourage people to consider DNA testing, and uh, that's something that can help you to also extend your tree for sure. Well, we're going to stop right here and take a quick break. 
Andre, the, the guest that asked you the question is saying thank you very much for the tips. So we're going to take a quick break, come back, because we have a lot more to talk about, because you just brought in DNA. Quick break. All right. Welcome back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and Stitcher.com. Now, you have been listening to Andre Kearns share research tips and basic information about his own genealogical journey. So you did mention... DNA. But before we Uh get to that, I just have a couple of more questions to ask you. As three people of color, was it difficult for you to find documentation on your family members? I guess I'd answer that by saying it's all relative. (laughs) Relative to my uh, research on my enslaved ancestors, I have uncovered an amazing amount of documentation on my uh, free uh, people of color ancestors. Um, And here's why. My enslaved ancestors first show up in the census starting in 1870. That's the first census conducted after the end of the Civil War. In contrast, uh, my... uh, free people of color ancestors show up in census records prior to 1870. So let me give you some examples. Um, so first example, the way that I learned that I descended from free people of color was that uh, I found my great, great, great grandfather, Exum White, uh, in the 1850 census of free persons of Nansman County, Virginia, Uh, And Nansman County no longer exists, but it's now the city of Suffolk, Virginia. And so Exum White shows up in the 1850 census as a 20-year-old laborer for a large, prosperous white merchant. His name was James Norfleet. Um, 
And so as I did some research, uh, it turns out that Nansman County had one of the largest free black populations in the state of Virginia. Uh, and so this got me really interested. I was like, wow, I'm finding my um, uh, black ancestors on census records prior to 1870. This is pretty uh, exciting. And so as I continue to research, I was able to find XM White's parents in the census as well. Um, these would be my four times great grandparents, and their names were Meredith and Patsy. I'm sorry, Meredith and Parma White. Uh, and so I kept searching, and I was even able to find Exxon White's grandmother. This would be my fifth great grandmother, Patsy White. And so it looks like she was, um, I'm estimating she was born sometime in the late 1700s. And she shows up as the head of a free colored household in the 1820 census for Nansman, Virginia. Uh, and so my guess is that she was, she was born enslaved and then she uh, was freed or man, the other term uh, used in genealogy is uh, manumitted um, by uh, I think uh, slave owners who were Quakers in Nansman, Virginia. And Nansman, Virginia was known as a Quaker asylum uh, and so I think that's how this particular line of my family became free uh, 75 to 100 years before the, um, the start of the Civil War. And so uh, I found my free colored ancestors in census records, and that's exciting. I found vital records for my free uh, people of color ancestors. So, for example, marriage bonds and death certificates. Uh, free people of color could own land and property. So I found uh, my ancestors in wills and probate records. Everything that I'm listing um, and describing, virtually all of it is available uh, and searchable online, either uh, on Ancestry.com, example, or for, again, FamilySearch.com, which is a free service. And then I've also found my uh, free people of color ancestors uh, in things like tax records, land deed records, court records. Uh, documents like these, like court records, can be really valuable sources for researching uh, free colored family members. But they are, I will say, less accessible to hobbyists like myself because they're not necessarily digitized and searchable and available online. And so you have to really want to get to some of these uh, records. Um, uh, and if you do, um, you know, one way to do it is just to plan a trip to the state library and, and you'll, you'll be able to access them there. So I say all that to say, um, all in all, I've been able to cover, uncover actually quite a bit of information on my uh, uh, free people of color ancestors. Wow, this is wonderful, and I'm glad you've mentioned the array of resources that you were able to use to document all the way back to your uh, five times great-grandmother. So you mentioned DNA right before we went on the break, and I have yes. a response already. Yes, yes, DNA. Beyond <laughs> knowing what percentages of our DNA are from Africa, Europe, and other places. What tests do you recommend to connect us with specific people who make up our DNA? 
great question, and I have a whole lot of passion around this. So here's how I would, uh, how I would uh, break it down for you. Um, first, let me say I would, I would estimate that around 2006 is when I first tried DNA testing. And what really got me excited about it was that it offered me the possibility of leapfrogging the research brick walls that we've talked about created by slavery and really start to connect directly to my African roots through an analysis of my DNA. Um, and so ever since then, DNA testing has really played a central role in all of the research that I do. So to break it down, I would say that there are two categories or types of DNA tests that you could take. One is called autosomal DNA testing, and another is called uh, haplogroup DNA testing. So let me um, cover the autosomal first. The autosomal DNA test will examine a person's 23 pairs of chromosomes to really analyze your ethnic makeup, as the question just alluded to. Uh, and they'll do that, um, you know, for your ancestors within the last few hundred years. And so when you get your results back from an autosomal uh, DNA test, the results include this ethnic admixture summary or breakdown, which describes just as the, the um, uh, chat participant said, what percentage of you um, comes from different parts of the world. And so when I got my results, one of the things I was excited about is um, – uh, I, I've tested with a number of services, but my, an, my ancestry DNA results in particular um, estimated that I had ancestors from Cameroon, Congo, Ivory Coast, Senegal, Benin, and Togo. And so it was really just really interesting to be able to see that breakdown and see all of the different regions across West Africa um, uh, from where my uh, ancestors likely came from. So that's that's the benefit of autosomal uh, DNA testing. And then the other type of test is, uh, is what I call haplogroup tests. And so uh, haplogroup DNA tests can reveal more ancient or deep genealogical origins, as in thousands of years ago, as, as opposed to more recent ancestry. And so there are really two types of haplogroup tests. There's a paternal test and a maternal test. And the paternal haplogroup test analyzes the DNA markers that a father passes down to his son or sons through the Y chromosome. Uh, and an analysis of the Y chromosome can help to identify your ancient origins. And so because you're analyzing the Y chromosome, this, this type of test is only available to men. Then there's the maternal haplogroup test, which analyzes the DNA markers that a mother passes down to her children through something called mitochondrial DNA uh, in order to identify ancient um, ancestral origins. And so that is something that both men and women, that's a test that both men and women can take. So across all these test types, the autosomal test and the haplogroup test, another big benefit is that you get DNA matches back with your results. And so this is really the, the fundamental reason why I choose to test and test with multiple services. I want to be able to source as many of these matches as possible because each of these matches represents a clue into my ancestry. These are genetic cousins most likely, 
Uh, and when we connect, uh, sometimes that can lead to understanding how um, we're related and lead to extending our family trees back. So I've tested with all the big um, mainstream uh, testing services with Ancestry uh, DNA is one of them. 23andMe is another one. Uh, family Tree DNA is, is a third. And then in addition to that, I've uploaded my results to this free service that's called GEDmatch, uh, which uh, attracts testers from across all the services. So you're able to source uh, matches from, from across all the services. And then the other thing I'll say on D my DNA testing is um, another important thing I did, in addition to testing myself, I tested my parents. And that was very valuable because when you get back your results and you have a 1,000 matches, 1,000 people that could be related to you, it's very helpful to be able to say these are the matches that come from my dad's side of the family and these are the matches that come from my mom's side of the family. It just helps you to narrow things down a little bit. And so uh, I've, I've also tested my parents, and that's, that's and other family members who are willing to do that. The more family members you can test, I think, the, the more valuable uh, um, clues that you can gather from your, from your results. Well, Andre, we have a question coming out of the chat, and it specifically addresses the question, you, the response you just gave. And the question is, but how do I interpret those results? I had nine family members do all three tests. Trying to find those Europeans and Africans is a little difficult. Yes, it is. You got to stay persistent. And uh, I think uh, I have conversations with a lot of people because I'm so passionate about this. And they say, Andre, you make this look so easy. But I want them to understand that it's not. It's um, something that you you just got to keep at. And, you know, this is like a, it's like a giant, I mean, I don't, I, I, I love it, but it, it really is, I mean, uncovering your family history is like um, pulling, pulling together a giant puzzle, right? It's, um, and I actually get an intellectual rush from solving parts of this puzzle uh, known as my family tree. And the added bonus is that when you're working hard and you're persistent and you start to unlock some of these um, uh, discoveries about your family, not only have you solved the puzzle, but you've also learned a lot more about your family in the process. So you got to stay persistent. Definitely build a family tree out. One of the things I like about the Ancestry service is that um, – you can build out your tree, and then you can attach your DNA mat your DNA results to that tree. And then when you get your matches back, they have different tools to help you try to figure out how you might be related. So if I have a family tree that um, has Richards uh, from Suffolk, Virginia, in that tree, and then I have a DNA match, um, there's a section in Ancestry uh, DNA called Shared Surnames. And so not only will they show me that this DNA match is a match, but it'll also show me that we both share Richards, the last name Richards in our family tree. And so that could be a clue. They also um, share things like um, cert, uh, family locations. So if I have family locations from Charlotte, North Carolina, in my family tree, uh, and then I, I pull up a DNA match, um, it will show that uh, 
you know, if that DNA match has family from Charlotte in their tree as well, to show, show that that's our shared location for our family. And so that could be a clue that could lead to a discovery. And so test, build out your tree, use all the tools that the services make available to try to uncover your connections with people. Um, I would say don't be uh, hesitant to reach out to people. I encourage you to reach out to people. I reach out to folks to, to see if they're interested in exploring how we might be connected. I would say out of every 10 people that I reach out to, I may get one or two responses. Um, and so if no one responds, I just keep it moving. Um, but I, I definitely have connected with a lot of folks and I've had very, where I've had very rich working relationships with them. And it's really helped me to learn a lot more about my family and about our connection. So stay positive, stay persistent. Um, and, uh, and, um, you know, you'll unlock those, those dis, um, discoveries about your family. Yes. And there's just another question here, but you're right. So you have to stay persistent. Someone just mentioned that it's addicting, uh, to, to get involved in this whole genealogical journey. But you also mentioned haplogroup tests. So there's just this people are putting up their haplogroups. And so what did you uncover? You you were very fortunate. You tested mother and you tested father. So you have your maternal and your paternal haplogroups. And so they want to know what, what what's your haplogroup? My haplogroup is uh, R1B, which I think is the most common uh, haplogroup in Europe. Uh, and I have, so I have a European haplogroup because uh, my great-great-grandfather, his name was Gus Kearns from Mecklenburg County, North Carolina. He was born in, uh, enslaved in 1862. Um, his father was, according to family history, uh, a plantation owner with the last name Kearns. Uh, and so I took a, a haplogroup test, a, a Y-DNA test. Um, and like I said, it came back and told me that I was R1B, but it also came back with a list of matches. And so I was looking at my match list, expecting to see, uh, people with the last name Kearns and there weren't any with the last name Kearns. They actually came back and most of my match list was made up of people with the last name Morrow or Murray. Uh, and so this is what I'm talking about when you're using DNA to connect with slaveholding ancestors. Um, you know, you get a lot of surprises. Sometimes um, what's been passed down in family history, you find out it may not be accurate. Other times, um, you know, you may validate what the, what the family uh, story has been. I had another example. Um, my third great-grandfather, his name was James Henry Johnson. He was born enslaved in the 1830s on the Smyre Plantation in Lincoln, North Carolina. And so according to our family history, his father was a Smyre. I mean, we didn't know his first name. It wasn't passed down in, in the family history what his first name was. He was just known as Master Smyre. Uh, and his mother was an enslaved woman named Martha. And so um, based on my research, I believe that his father was this, a son of a man named John Smyre, who was born in 1752, uh, and Matilda Bost, who was born in 1764 in Lincoln, North Carolina. And so DNA testing uh, has helped me to really validate this connection. 
my family's generated upwards of 25 to 30 autosomal ancestry DNA matches across the descendants of the Smyre children. But here's where the haplogroup came in. Additionally, um, I approached one of my cousins, who's a Johnson cousin, who is a direct paternal descendant of James Henry Johnson. And I, and I asked him if he would be interested in, in taking a Y-DNA test to see if he had the same haplogroup as um, the Smyers. And so he tested, and uh, his results came back, and uh, he um, matched. His top two matches were uh, Sm- the last name was Smyer and Smoyer. Uh, and so he had the Smyer uh, haplogroup. Uh, and so... You know, that's an example of how I was able to use haplogroup testing, Y-DNA testing, to actually validate um, uh, family oral history about how we descended from uh, from this Smyre ancestor. Okay. And so you have the Smyre ancestor. You found that out. You know, it's just very interesting to, to just think about, you know, all the possibilities once you've had your DNA, and especially when you come up with a, a European haplogroup. So take us to some discoveries that you have made beyond the, the, the family you just mentioned. What about the Combo family? Oh, the Combos. So um, I'm a Combo descendant. Uh, and just a little bit on the Cumbos. Um, the Cumbo family is one of the earliest free-colored families documented in America. Uh, and so according to um, a book by a man named Paul Hennig, who's done extensive research on uh, free people of color families uh, in America, the origins of the Cumbo family in America begin with a man named Emmanuel Cumbo, um, who, according to uh, court records from 1667, was a Negro who was granted a patent for 50 acres of land in James City County uh, in 1667. Uh, And so it's believed that Emmanuel Cumbo was from uh, Angola, modern-day Angola. also, according to Hennig, Cumbo was one of two definite African surnames to survive from the uh, first Africans who arrived in Jamestown in the early 1600s to today. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that originally drew me to the name. I saw it in our family tree, and I was like, Cumbo, that's a very unique-sounding name. It kind of sounds African. Um, so Combo's one. The other surname that Hennig said survived um, is uh, the surname Mozingo. And uh, just as an aside, I recently uh, just finished uh, Joe Mozingo's book. It's the title of it is "The Fiddler on Panico Run," and it's a, it's an excellent read. I would um, I'd recommend it to 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 folks to pick that up. But uh, yes, I just Combo, finished reading yeah. it also. <laughs> It's it's wonderful, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, so so back to Emmanuel Combo. So his descendants uh, from the 1600s. He lived in the 1600s, early 1600s in Jamestown. 
Um, his descendants lived on as free people of color. Um, and they had offspring with uh, whites and with Native Americans throughout Virginia and also coastal North Carolina um, throughout the colonial period of America. So as a result, over successive generations, you see this splintering. You have many combo family branches that maintain a black or African-American identity like my family branch. Uh, you have many combo branches that, that uh, passed as, as white and, and um, adopted white identities. And then you have combo family branches that fully embrace Native American identities. And so it's, a, it's quite a diverse family that all trace back to, we believe, Emmanuel Combo. In addition to the branching of the different identities within the family, um, the, as the Combo family grew, so did all the different variations of the name. So it's, it, was, it went from Combo to Cumba to Cumbi, Cumbia, Combo, Cumber, and it seems like every week that I research this family, I uncover a new permutation of the name uh, Combo, but uh, it's, it's grown. Wow. wow. Now, now, at what point were you, were you reading, reading, researching all of the variations of combo and, 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 and finding that, that have, have those that are white combos, those that are black combos, are they biologically related or how are they using the name? What are you, what are you discovering? Well, um, first of all, can you hear me okay? Yes, I think I'm having some audio problems. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just want to make sure that I was I was clear. But uh, yes, it's it's through a combination of things. Um, I think uh, Hennig has uh, documented um, uh, a lot of the combos. I mean, he's pretty much compiled all the records on uh, available on uh, uh, combos during the colonial area era. And so um, his book is a um, great reference in terms of just convenience of having, having all those records indexed in one place. Um, uh, and then there are some other books where combos have been uh, referenced and the history of the manual combo has been um, expounded upon, which I've read. Um, there are also DNA projects. There's um, uh there are DNA projects where combos show up, uh, and um, a lot of the uh, combo descendants who have tested uh, have identities as white Americans, and they've tested, and their Y-DNA results have come back, and um, their haplogroup is, is African. It's B. I think the combo uh, haplogroup is, is, is haplogroup B. Uh, which is uh, one of the older, uh, one of the oldest uh, African haplogroups out there, and so um, uh, that's kind of a validation point of the the origins of the, of the family. And then, basically, I've I've started to build. You know, you, you build your tree out, and you're connecting with DNA matches, and um, that that helps you to uncover more and more branches of the Combo family. Uh, and, and connections and uh, and and you start adding that to your tree and it really just grows quite quickly. Okay, and uh, Patricia, I have you online. I want you to ask a few more questions or 
tell us what's happening in the chat until I change my uh, my mic. Your mic is fine now. Uh, yeah, you're oh, okay. very clear now. All righty. Okay. I don't know what happened there. Okay. Uh, I, I hope everyone can hear me now. Okay. So, chatters, what kinds of questions do you have for um, Andre? Okay, there's a response in the in the chat room, and it's saying that do most combos pass for white? Not my family. <laughs> uh, I think I think it's the whole variety. I, I really do. I think, uh, like I said, it's a it's incredibly wonderfully diverse family uh, of descendants who identify as. African American who identify as Native American who identify as as uh, as white American. So, you know, this is what America is all about. I think uh, when you when you dig into this, you realize that uh, as much as we can potentially focus on differences in a lot of respects, we all um, share uh, share blood and share ancestry. Uh, and so, it's pretty powerful to me. I, I'll say that uh, you know. I've, I've been really active uh, in reaching out to my combo descended DNA matches. Um, when I discover them, I encourage them to join a, a combo family page that I administer on Facebook that my cousin Brandon Richards started. And um, I encourage them to add up their family members. Um, and it's a place for all of us to connect and, and learn about each other and share information in our particular family branches and it's been a, a real blessing and so through this process i've been able to build out uh, a 120 page family tree on the combos which i have um hosted on an ancestry and so um what i've uncovered is just like any other family we're spread out all across the country uh, and through this process, this approach that I just described, I've really been able to connect with hundreds and hundreds of uh, family members that uh, I didn't even know about. And so this uh, re most recently culminated into, um, in 2016, uh, I helped to organize a Cumbo family reunion uh, in Williamsburg, Virginia, and uh, where we re reunited all these family branches that were literally separated by hundreds and hundreds of years. And so we had over 200 family members attend the reunion. I knew some of those family members, my um, immediate family and close family who uh, attended, but the, the majority of the folks that were at the family reunion, I had never met before. And so it was, it was a pretty magical weekend and we really enjoyed ourselves. So tell the group again, you said you have a, a website, a combo website, and tell people about this website again. Yeah, so when I started to uh, research uh, um, my uh, family tree, um, I wanted to establish a place where I could share my research because, again, you know, the benefit of social media is if you're, if you're sharing your research um, connections can come out of the woodwork that you wouldn't have ever predicted. Uh, and so I created a website. It's called www.combofamilytree.com. Um, I'm sorry, combofamily.com. Wow, I don't know 
my, the address of my own website. That's not good. It's www.cumbofamily.com, and it's really just a blog. And so I, I you know, regularly blog um, updates on uh, things I've researched, things that I've found. Uh, and so, and I share that around, and I, I enjoy getting the comments back, and uh, it's been a great way to um, connect with uh, um, new branches of the family. Uh, and so, yeah, it's really just a blog that where I share my research. Right. So now, I mean, you're having comments that are people saying that's a very good idea uh, to create a blog to share your family research. We now have another question. What is one of the most challenging cases of information you have uncovered about your family and what kind of hurdles did you have to clear as you were trying to go through this genealogical journey? Hmm. I would say that uh, one of the more challenging, um, one of the more challenging uh, projects ha- has been um, kind of validating that uh, family oral history about uh, descending from. Uh, uh, slaveholding ancestors, um, and so, you know, I, I think I shared how uh, uh, there was family oral history around our um, uh, family descending from a plantation owning Kearns, and that, based on my DNA testing, I don't know if that's the case. Uh, and then there were other examples uh, that I tried to validate, and um, you know. Uh, where I wasn't successful in validating the family history. Obviously, there was, uh, you know, I did have a success um, that I shared around um, understanding the the parentage of my uh, uh, great 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 grandfather James Henry Johnson, uh, that his father was a uh, uh, Smyer. But I mean, those things are difficult. It's also diff- very difficult just dealing with the notion that um, for a lot of my family lines. Uh, uh, um, where I descend from um, enslaved ancestor, uh, ancestors that there's just, I'm going to hit a limit in how far back I can, I can push, uh, push that ancestry uh, and push that family tree. So that's difficult. I think um, there is one challenge uh, which keeps me inspired. It's really my dream, which is um, I want to have a validated ancestry all the way back to uh, Emmanuel Cumbo. Uh, and so Emmanuel Cumbo to me is my um, uh, Kunta Kinte uh, for my family tree. He's that named ancestor uh, born on the continent of Africa. Uh, and so my motivation is to continue to research and to pour into court records and really um, to try to uncover everything I possibly can that will allow me to uh, document my uh, my Cumbo lineage all the way back to uh, to Emmanuel, and so that you know it's challenges like that that keep me motivated and uh, to to stay persistent and to to continue uh, my research efforts. Right, and Shannon is saying it's so important to uh, to have and to stick to your goals of, of just where you're trying to go. Now, there are lots Absolutely. of questions here, Andre, just a lot. So, uh, <laughs> so 
I'm just going to throw them out to you. Do you okay. feel that social media has enhanced your research? And what has it been? What has been the most exciting social media connection or find for you? Um, I think it has enhanced my research. And um, it's because, again, sharing the research on social media, uh, I've been able to make connections with people, with family members, with DNA matches uh, that I wouldn't have expected I'd be able to make. Um, and so, uh, you know, social, it's been beneficial to have this blog and to have people, um, you know, uh, follow up with me in the comments section or to be on certain genealogy uh, uh, groups on Facebook and to share my research there. You know, you can crowdsource advice. Right, like if I'm just sitting here struggling with a challenge about how I might break down a brick wall or I'm not sure how to interpret a census record, I'm not sure how, where I could get this information, there are all these Facebook pages that have just these incredibly knowledgeable people. You can pose a question, and then within a few minutes, you're going to get a lot of very valuable advice on how you might uh, approach the, you know, your, your, your puzzle that you're trying to solve. So. All in all, social media has been very, very beneficial, um, and not to mention that social media helped to build out these connections that allowed us to build to this um, Cumbo family reunion in, in 2016. So all in all, I've benefited. If I had to pick one example of a breakthrough, I'll say this. Um, uh, social media has helped me connect with many, many experts, um, scholars, uh, people who have built expertise of certain um, uh, locations and and, and uh, family lines uh, 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 associated with my own family uh, tree, and you know uh, they have expertise in things like free people of color, etc. And so I'm able to connect with those experts. And one of the experts I connected with was a gentleman named Dr. Warren Miltier, and he's um, a professor at the University of South Carolina. And he has spent hours and hours and hours in um, the libraries and state library in North Carolina, state library of Virginia. And so as a hobbyist, being able to connect with someone like that, who is generous enough with his time and expertise to advise me, it's been invaluable. And so he's had access to things like court records and tax documents that um, he's been able to share with me. Uh, that have really helped me to unlock some insights and extend my family tree, which I ordinarily wouldn't have been able to accomplish if I had never connected with him via social media uh, and and established, a, you know, a research relationship. Right. And th there's kind of a ditto to what you're saying, and this is Shannon. When you strategically, uh, especially Facebook, uh, it is an exceptional tool for genealogists, and it's wonderful when people can hear about your research and then turn around and offer you additional resources, such as the professor you just mentioned. So there's a question here, and it's, why do you call yourself Bernice? Uh-oh. 
Yes, I can see the post. So Bernice, I'm not sure what happened with the sound, but if you want to um, post the question that you want me to answer in the chat, um, I can I can try to answer that for folks. I will hold on. Okay, Bernice said to continue talking. So, what else can I talk about? Talk about. Um, uh, so I talked about my inspiration for genealogy and how I started actively researching. Um, I would say what keeps me researching is a few things. One is uh, love of family. So my family is everything to me. I feel a real connection to the ancestors I'm researching. Um, I feel really this drive and motivation to record our family history, the good, the bad, the ugly, um, all of it, because uh, I want to be able to pass that down to future generations. Um, and really, it'll be up to them on whether they want to um, learn more about their family history or not. But I feel it at this point, it's almost like an obligation um, to preserve their choice if they want to learn more about their family history. So that's one thing that really motivates me and fuels me in terms of my research. Another is love of history. Um, so genealogy really offers this special opportunity to understand history uh, and um, American history through the lens of your own family. Uh, so I really enjoy that. Um, and then I'd also say that uh, what also keeps me um, interested in researching is just, uh, um, you know, I have an analytic mind. It's an intellectual pursuit that I enjoy. So genealogy, like I said, is more like one giant puzzle. And so I get this energy and this rush from solving the parts of the puzzle known as my family tree. Uh, and so I don't know. I keep waiting to see if I'm going to lose this motivation, and it hasn't happened over 11 years, so I just keep going. And, Bernice, are you back on? Yes, I am back on. I've just been listening to you. So You've been thank listening you to me so fill much. filibuster? <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, there's a comment, and I'm, I'm glad you're in the chat room because you can see there's a comment that says, you seem like a genealogist from, a genealogist from our perspective. So the term hobbyist is interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, I mean, I basically, uh, I guess I call myself a hobbyist because uh, I don't uh, do this professionally, but I certainly spend a lot of time uh, researching. Um, you know, by day I, I work in the, uh, the world of technology and big data analytics, and by night I'm logged into Ancestry researching my roots. So, you know, some nights I'm uh, – uh, uh, sitting in the living room and my wife is there next to me and she looks at me and says, are you, are we going to spend time together tonight? Or is it going to, are you going to spend time with the, with the dead ancestors? So, <laughs> uh, so some days I set the computer down, but um, yeah, it's just a passion of mine. And uh, so I really, really enjoy researching. Right. Now there's a question and it's relating specifically to your family. How okay. uh, how's your son? How are your sons uh, relating to your research? I think they enjoy it. Um, my the other I have two sons. One's uh, thirteen and one's ten. 
The other day, uh, one of them asked me when I was writing a book. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and so he clearly sees uh, that, you know, I'm uncovering these stories that, at least in his mind, are worthy of uh, writing a book about. Um, so that's interesting. But, you know, I think I really enjoy the fact that we're sharing um, a passion for history, right? Like we uh, uh, recently, when the uh, African-American History Museum opened up, uh, the Smithsonian, we all went together. And so I enjoyed sharing that time with, with, uh, with my sons. And I feel like part of their interest in history is because uh, I'm sharing these stories about their ancestors with them that I'm uncovering. Right, right. Well, we're getting close to the end of the show. So do you have any parting words of wisdom that you would like to share with all of the guests listening tonight? I don't know about wisdom, but I I would like to leave you with a challenge, which is to feel challenged to unlock the family history in your DNA. So feel challenged to go talk to your um, family members uh, and start to build out a tree and start to document your family history, strongly consider DNA testing, and, uh, and do all that you can to uncover those amazing family stories that are waiting for you to be uncovered. Uh, and the one thing I'll say uh, that I've said a few times is once you start on this journey, just stay persistent and, uh, and you'll see successes. And you're not getting away yet without answering one more question from the chat. Okay. And this is a question. <laughs> how has your wife and your children uh, and how are you juggling the career of being a family man and a genealogist? How is all of this playing in with your life? This is one of the questions that's coming out of the chat. Well, um, one of the best things I did was uh, meeting my wife and marrying her, and she's very understanding and supportive of my hobbies and interests, and she uh, supports me as I pursue them. Uh, so uh, that's a blessing. Um, so that's, that's a big one. Um, but yeah, it is, there's, there's a lot going on. Uh, I think from a priority perspective, family comes first and, and uh, you know, my, my, my work, which helps to support my family. Um, but I do find somehow space to pursue hobbies like this. So, but again, um, you know, having a supportive wife really helps uh, me in terms of pursuing this passion. Like, for example, I, sometimes I'm taking these trips and she, uh, she's just supportive. She holds things down at home while I'm out traipsing, looking for court records in North Carolina somewhere for a day or two. So I want to thank her for, uh, for all of her support. And encouragement. And you have a comment coming out of the chat, and it's from your son, Jock, and he's saying, "Great job, Dad." Thank you, Jock. I appreciate that. <laughs> so thank you so much, Andre, for joining us tonight. And this DNA is a very, very hot topic. 
And so I'll continue to have shows where we discuss DNA. You can go back to some of my previous shows to learn more about DNA. But right now, I'd just like to say, remember, all of your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, Research at the National Archives, and yes, also DNA. You can continue this discussion on the Research at the National Archives and Beyond and AfroGenius.com Facebook pages. And also remember to listen to the African Roots Podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday and also watch for the Black Pro. My mouth is getting messed up here. But the Black Progen Live with host Nika Soul Smith. Everyone, I look forward to you joining me next week. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, with co-host Patricia Glover Howard. Good night, everyone. Good night, Andre. Good night.